The more information you include in the investment summary, the better. The less questions that the past investor has to ask you, the better for you because it saves you time. Plus, it shows that you are a professional, experienced person that knows what information to include. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, It allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome to the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndications. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. 
Each week, we air a podcast episode that focuses on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for a lot of these episodes, we've given away free resources, free documents. These are PDF how-to guides, PowerPoint presentation templates, and most of them are Excel calculator templates that you can use to help you along your apartment syndication journey. So make sure you check out our previous syndication school episodes, all of those free documents. Those are available at syndicationschool.com. And today we're going to conclude the four-part series that focused on some of the things to avoid when you are underwriting and then presenting your new deals to investors. So these are things that you want to proactively address that your sophisticated path investors are going to recognize or look for when reviewing a deal. So they might have a checklist of things in their mind and say, okay, I'm not investing in deals that have these red flags. So my goal with this series was to present to you what those red flags are so that you can avoid them whenever you are underwriting deals and presenting them to investors, or at the very least, understand why they're red flags. And then maybe there's a reason why you're doing this and you can explain that to your investors. So not every single one of these things is a deal breaker. Some of them are. A lot of them are just things that investors are going to ask. And so to make you look more professional, if you've done these things already that way, so they don't have to ask. So let's jump into where we left off, which is at number 17 on our list, which is in our category of the pro forma, right? So your pro forma is going to be your income expense projections broken out by line item for each year of the hold period. And then usually it's compared to the T12 and or the T3 which is the trailing 12 month of income and expenses or the trailing, trailing three months annualized of income and expenses. So when you are putting together your pro forma, here are some of the things that you want to think about. So the first thing that would be a red flag, and again, this is 17 on the list, is that there are large variances between your projections and the actual T12 or T3, and there's no explanation for why there's a big difference. So the T3 column, the T12 column, again, is going to include the most up-to-date information on the actual income and actual expenses at the property. And then next to that is going to be your year one projections, your two projections, your three projections, your four projections. So since it's presented in that fashion, investors can very quickly look down and say, okay, let's take a look at the T12 expenses and take a look at the year one expenses. Oh, wait a minute. Why is maintenance repairs so much lower than the year one? I'm going to mark that down and ask that to the syndicator. Why are taxes so much higher? Why is insurance so much higher? Things like that. So to proactively address that, have a column to the right of the pro forma, or you can have a footnote section at the bottom of the data table of the pro forma, explaining all of your assumptions for every single line item. So for growth potential rent, why is your one projections way higher than the T12? Well, see rent cops tab for this explanation. Why is concessions zero, whereas they're paying X dollars per year in concessions? Well, the plan is to burn off concessions because they've been giving concessions for whatever reason. Why is vacancy higher year one and then not as high year two and year three? Oh, because we're doing renovations and assumed a higher vacancy rate during renovations. Why is maintenance and repairs so much higher on the T12 than on the year one projection? See CapEx budget for deferred maintenance investment things like that. So any line item, there should be an explanation, even if it's just set it same as T12 or same as T3 or based off of current expenses, based off of current income. And then for any differences, there should be in-depth explanation as to why that is. 
If that's not there, it's going to be a red flag for your investors. Now, more specifically on the pro forma would be the real estate tax assumption. So whenever you buy a property, you take a look at the T12 and they're paying 100 grand per year in taxes. Now that's based off of the current assessed value of the property. Usually what happens after you buy a property, the new purchase price, the taxes are reassessed based off the new purchase price and then go up usually, you know, assuming that the property was sold for more than it was bought. When that's the case, taxes are going to go up, which is why you can't just set the year one and on a tax assumption to the taxes on the broker's portfolio or the taxes that the current owners are paying. You need to determine what the tax rate is in that market and then create your tax assumption based off of that and your projected purchase price. So again, in some cases, it might be the same, but especially in the past five years and, and now, the taxes are going to go up <laughs> because of how much values have increased over the past 10 plus years. So if you are assuming the taxes are the exact same, that's going to be a red flag to your investors. Last pro forma red flag, which is something that if you're a best ever listener, you're not going to be doing this, but it's still possible. And that would be not having a reserves budget. Now you're going to have your upfront reserve budget, which I talked about last week a little bit. This reserves budget is the ongoing reserves budget. Now, most lenders require this anyways, and so it's going to be included regardless. If you're getting a loan, you're going to have to include a reserves budget because your lender is going to require that each month. So just make sure you're including this on the pro forma so they know that this is an operating expense. To not include it, to make that net operating income look higher, and then in reality, you're spending an extra $10,000 a year to the lender for the reserves budget. So make sure you're including that in there if you're securing debt. That one's not that big of a deal because, you know, <laughs> as I said, you kind of have to do it if you're getting debt. But if you're not getting debt, you know, you're buying it all cash or something, or the lender does not require this, make sure you're still saving some of the cash flow each month into reserves. Okay, the end is in sight. Next category is rental and sales comparable properties, red flags. So whenever you are doing any deal, you're going to have sales comps. So these are comparable properties that have sold recently. And use that to determine if you're overpaying for the property or getting a discount. So the sales comp kind of sets the market rates for buying. And then rental comps are going to be comparable properties that you use to determine what the market rents are at the subject property. So some red flags when it comes to these types of properties would be number 20 on our list, which is that it's not actually <laughs> a comparable property. So in your investment summary, you should include your rent comps and your sales comps are what properties you use to determine your purchase price in part. What properties do you use to determine your rental rates? And these properties should actually be comparable, right? And so we're talking about the sales comparables. A comparable property is going to be a property that is similar to the subject property in its current condition. So not in its value added condition, right? When it's done with your value add program, but in its current condition, what are similar properties? that are in the same condition that have sold. They should offer similar types of amenities. It doesn't need to be the exact same, but if a comp has a clubhouse and a pool and a fitness center and an Amazon package center and free parking and a barbecue area and dog park, and then the subject property has none of those things, it's not a sales comp. They should have been sold within at least the past couple of years, right? It shouldn't be a sales comp from 10 years ago. So those are the three main criteria for a sales comp. For the rental comp, the comparable property should offer similar types and quality of amenities as the subject property once it's stabilized and upgraded. So unlike the sales comp, this rental comp should be the final product, right? And so once you're done doing all of your upgrades, 
to the property. Your value at business plan is completed. What's that property going to look like at that point? Find properties that look like that. Similarly, for the interior, it should be the same as well. So the quality and types of upgrades to the amenities and the quality and type of unit interiors should be the same, or at least very, very close to being similar, right? And then the unit at this rental comp property should have been renovated and rented within the past few years at most, ideally more recently, right? Because you don't want a property that was fully renovated five years ago. You want a newly renovated property because yours is going to be newly renovated. And then something else that's important too would be that the fees that are included in rent or excluded from rent are the same. And so if you plan on billing back utilities to the resident, then the rental comps should also bill back utilities. And so these are what make a property a comparable property. And if they do not meet this criteria, then that's a red flag. Number 21 on our list is going to be that the market leader, that's your subject property that you're buying, rental premiums, are going to make it the market leader in rents or the purchase price is going to make it the highest sales price per unit in the entire market. So assuming that you're using the comparable properties, then in order to determine your rent premiums, you're going to take the average rent per square foot of the rent comps. And then for the price is the average sales price per unit and get like an average number. And then for the rent comps and for the sales price, based off of that average number, you can determine a rental rate assumption as well as a fair market offer price. Now, you should not be assuming <laughs> that you're going to achieve the same rental rates as the market leader or rental rates that are above the market leader. Similarly, you should not have the deal under contract for a price per unit that is equal to or above the most expensive property that sold recently. Instead, they should both be closer to the average or even better below the average. So the sales price, that means you've gotten the deal below market value. And for the rents, it means you're being very conservative in your assumption. If you are the market leader in rent or you're the market leader in sales price, that's a problem. That's a red flag that your investors are going to be concerned over. And then last of this category would be that the comparable property is not actually near the subject property. And so we talked about the material characteristics of the property. We also need to talk about the location of where the property is. And so for both the sales comps and for the rental comps, they need to be near the property. And then the bigger the market, the closer it needs to be, right? So if you're like in a rural market in the middle of nowhere, it might be hard to find a comparable property within a mile of your subject property. That's fine. Or maybe you're like in a very unique part of a major market that there aren't a lot of comps on the water on like a lake and there aren't a lot of lakes nearby to define a property on a lake further away or maybe even in a similar market across the country. But if you're in a big market like Dallas, Chicago, or any other major market, it should be very close. It might even be in the same street, but at the very least, it should be in the same neighborhood and then if not in the same sub-market. But if you're investing in Dallas, you should not have one comp that's in Fort Worth, another one that's in Garland, Texas, and maybe another one that's like way out in the rural area somewhere. If that's the case, if they're all over the place, that's a red flag. All right. Last section is going to be the other red flags that don't really fit in any of these categories, but it's still going to be things that you want to avoid when you're creating your investment summary in particular. Number 23 on the list is that it's a short investment summary. So your investment summary needs to be long because it needs to proactively address any potential question that one of your past investors might ask, right? The more information you include in the investment summary, the better. 
the less questions that the passive investor has to ask you, the better for you because it saves you time. Plus, it shows that you are a professional, experienced person that knows what information to include, which means your investment summary shouldn't be 10 pages long. It should even be longer than about 20 pages long, right? But anything less than that is a huge red flag. 24 is going to be not having a risks and disclosures section. So since you are raising money, you're going to be working closely with your securities attorney. And in order to make sure you're, you're going by the book, there are lots of risks and disclosures you need to provide to your past investors in the private placement memorandum. Now, the investment summary is technically like a marketing piece, so you don't need to include these disclosures, but you should. Because that shows that you're professional. It shows that you're working with your experienced security attorney. It shows that you're transparent, which overall builds trust with your investors. 25 may seem minor, but it's still a pretty big deal, which is typos. So you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars of people's capital. If you can't review your investment summary to make sure that there aren't any typos in it, that shows that you don't pay attention to details. Maybe that you're inexperienced and lack professionalism which might be a problem. Now, if you've got one typo in a 100-page document, but if you've got typos on every page, it's a pretty big deal. And then lastly, it would be not including any case studies. So the case studies, assuming you've done deals before, will explain the deals you've done. It should include your return projections, the actual projections, and then if they sold or not. And that'll give your investors an idea of how aggressive you are on your return projections for this current deal based off of if you've exceeded or met or underdelivered on previous deals. Plus it shows that you've done this before and this isn't your first deal. So assuming you've done a deal before, make sure that those deals are included in your investment summary. But hopefully they're good deals. <laughs> and if they're not, make sure you have an explanation as to what happened. So those are the 26 red flags. I'm going to quickly go over them, and then we're going to wrap up this four-part series. So number one, red flag, stagnant or shrinking population. Number two, stagnant or shrinking rental rates. Number three, low absorption rate. Number four, no neighborhood or sub-market level data. Number five, population demographic doesn't match the property. So those are all the market-related red flags. For the business-related red flags, number six, property doesn't match the business plan. And number seven, it truly isn't a value-add deal or it truly isn't a turnkey or it truly isn't a distressed opportunistic deal. Next, under projected return red flags, we've got eight, you're guaranteeing a return. Number nine, you are not providing a sensitivity analysis. Under debt, number 10, the total loan term is less than two times the business plan. 11, there's no cap on the adjustable interest rate loan. And number 12, you are including the refinance or supplemental loan proceeds in the return projections. Under the purchase and sales assumptions, red flags, we get number 13. The exit cap rate is equal to or less than the in-place cap rate. Number 14, there's a very aggressive revenue growth assumption. 15, you're using the same vacancy rate during and after renovations. And number 16, no contingency CapEx budget. And I guess to that, sub-16A would be not having an upfront operating reserves budget. Under pro forma red flags, number 17, no explanation for variances between the pro forma, so your projections, and what the T12 or T3, what's actually going on the property. Number 18, real estate tax assumptions is the exact same as the T12 taxes. And number 19, no ongoing reserves budget. Under rental and sales comparable properties, which we talked about today, is they aren't comparable properties. 21, you're assuming you're going to be the market leader in rents, or you have the property under contract at the market leader sales price per unit. And number 22, comparable properties are not nearby 
the property you're buying. And then the other red flags is number 23, a short investment summary. Number 24, no risk or disclosure section. Number 25, typos. And at number 26, no case studies. So those are the major red flags, 26 to look out for, to not do when you're underwriting and creating your investment summary. Now, again, I said earlier, not all of these are going to be complete deal breakers, right? One typo is not going to result in you not doing the deal. Some of these other ones, like maybe not explaining every single item on the pro forma, but most of these are major red flags. So make sure you're avoiding these when you're underwriting and when you are presenting your deal to your investors. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure you check out parts one through three. This is part four of the four-part series where we go over the red flags, the lookouts, the holes to poke in your underwriting. Besides those episodes, make sure you check out some of the other episodes we have on the how-tos of apartment syndications. Download our free documents at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking to earn passive income through turnkey rental properties? If so, then go check out hipsterinvestments.com. Ali Boone's the founder of Hipster Investments. It's a aesthetically pleasing website, and you'll know what I mean when you go check it out. I just love the color palette. In addition to that, though, Ali has some wonderful content on both passive investing through turnkey rental properties as well as how to design your life. Go to hipsterinvestments.com.